Imagine a conscious contact with God so strong that no matter what you are doing or not doing, that no matter what your kids are up to or not up to, and that whether you've got the person of your dreams or they're just not cooperating, that you are happy, content, and at peace. A space where everyone else's thoughts, attitudes, and actions are beautiful and exactly as they are supposed to be. Well, this is the space where I like to play. My name is Misha Z, and this is today's Bitch Slap. Join me as I shed light on the thoughts, actions, and attitudes that are causing you pain, and we train our minds to go to the capital S inner self, the joy that is waiting for us, the God within. Damien Colhane, welcome to the Bitch Slap, the Accelerated Path to Peace the Accelerated Path to Peace podcast. And quickly, I will say the podcast is about those moments in life where you get, you know, smacked on the side of the head by the universe and the universe is like, hey, wake up. You've got to look at things differently. You've got to maybe learn how to, uh, you know, go to source, call it what you will. There's so many different ways to say it. And quickly i'll say when i look at your bio and all you've done clearly you have experience with that yeah thanks misha yeah so uh thanks for inviting me on the the podcast i really appreciate it and uh, happy to share experiences and and share you know my own thoughts on how that bitch slap happens and and when to pay attention to it so uh yeah um I guess there's, there's been a number of things for me experience-wise that have caused me to really pay attention to things that perhaps I hadn't noticed before. Um, and I'm happy to, to get into more detail around a couple of examples of that that, that that happened. I guess the first one was probably when I was completely asleep to all of this when I was a kid. And I first noticed that there was something, something wasn't up, something wasn't right. And something was up with um, an event around a, a family gathering. And my father wasn't there because my parents had divorced. And I was kind of really curious about that because no one had really spoken about it. Mm. Um, and my parents had separated. And so they'd spoken about that and explained that. But it was the first time that I really was paying attention to the fact that he wasn't there. And I was only about seven years old. So, of course, then I didn't really have the resources or the the maturity to really figure out that that was probably the first moment that I had a bitch slap. Um, but that's the first kind of obvious one. Um, but it kind of went past unnoticed, you know. <laughs> do you so do you have what are some like poignant thoughts and feelings at that time? So you have awareness, hey, dad's not here. But was there a sense of suppression suppression suppressing mm -hmm. feelings or things like that or what's your what's your does that question make sense yeah yeah it does no I, I think um what's obvious is when that event happened and it kind of went by unnoticed it created a what i call a tension like a universal tension you know there was something that i should have been paying attention to and didn't mm -hmm. and so i was able to mask that by creating an identity which was masking my own emotion. And I did that through overeating. So that was my first example 
and this is this is taking me a long time to figure out but that was my first example of when i actually was overeating and binge eating um at, even at that age and that started and that event was the trigger um and it was me probably trying to cope with the tension as a naive egocentric or ego driven uh seven year old um yes. not really being very conscious or aware of you know what i could do about it or what my emotions might be telling me um so i dealt with it in a way that was that became dysfunctional for many many years you know i was overeating and binge eating for many many years after that um and it was only when i discovered i kind of went back and did a lot of work on on personal growth and personal development to figure out where the cause of that had been and it was only then that i i figured out that that was the point so um having ignored the first bitch slap or the first significant one yeah. um it caused me a you know a significant amount of emotional suffering and psychological harm that perhaps i if i had paid attention may never have existed so uh, could have been quite different can i ask you a question on on the the binge eating starting at at 7 years old um how does that how does that is your weight fluctuating at the same time so you're you're like yeah. peaking spiking or you know yeah 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 so typically um it would be mostly in private so i wouldn't necessarily binge eat in front of other people mm. for long periods of time but other people that i know for a long that i've known or that know me for a long period of time would recognize that i've been g uh, or had had been eating um disorders if you like um so they would say oh yeah well you would typically do that you know but mostly it would be in private and what i would do would be binge eating on you know chocolate or crisps or cake or something like that just you know kind of gorging on junk food and uh, and and binging on that and i would do it in private purely because i was so embarrassed about not being able to control it yeah, but yeah. also because it also had that kind of air of secrecy and an air of you know no one else knows i'm doing this type of you know yeah. like a real kind of trying to deal with stuff on my own without without being exposed i suppose so uh, yeah there's a whole load of stuff mixed up into that so i don't know if that actually answered your question but no that's it's it, it's all right um i do have a so was there was there some anorexia did that ever come into place the purging side no. of things or no absolutely not no i i would say um when when i've looked at people who experience things such as anorexia or bulimia um i think they're much deeper than than what i'm actually doing sorry um they're they're uh, a much deeper um emotional and psychological um expression of their pain mm -hmm. and I don't think I I ever got to that point where it became you know like a diagnosed thing. Uh I just kind of bumped along through life knowing that you know I enjoy binge eating on junk food and that sometimes my weight goes up a bit and then I'll lose a little bit of weight and then I'll put the weight back on again and yeah you know just kind of but but interestingly the the habits that I formed and that binge eating and junk food became like an addiction. Yeah. So it was more like an addiction than a psychological disorder or a, a mental disorder or or something that was troubling me emotionally. So it was like an addiction and that then turned into other addictions. So that's what really became a, a problem for me, not so much any kind of anorexia or bulimia, but 
but the other types of addictive behavior that were triggered by that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, that was almost like entry into the, uh, <laughs> the addiction cycle. Did you, before I let's just change directions just for one second. And I want to just talk about quickly how we met. So um, I, I just did this summit called the tools for a good life summit. One of the speakers I had on there was um, Janice Mulligan and Janice Mulligan ended up writing a book called power in the pause, but she also was on the ignite happiness series with JB Owen. Right. And then, um, so I was rapping with JB Owen, say it however you want, talking with JB Owen and JB Owen graciously introduced me to yourself, to a, a bunch of people. Um, uh, we could call this the, the JB Owen series, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> cool, but cool. yeah, but uh, so JB Owen, she, she helps people write books. She puts together this Ignite series. So how are you involved? And tell me what's going on. Let's start there. Tell me what's going on with JB Owen and fill in those details for us. Ah, cool. Yeah, great question. Um, so I met JB uh, for the first time in about 2019. We're at an event called Mind Valley University, which was in uh, Pula in Croatia. And it was absolutely amazing. It was great fun. Um, we had a, a really good experience there. Um, basically, it's like a four-week event where you're doing back-to-back -back workshops with some of the fantastic, most really best-selling authors in the world, um, some of the, the greatest wisdom that's shared. And you, there's probably about a 1,000 people there. Mm. So Who, Who's behind Mind Valley? Who's behind Mind Valley? What's the guy's name? Uh, it's Vishen, Vishen Lakiani is the founder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So he he created this uh, this whole business around personal growth and personal development with all these great authors that he brings together. So the Mind Valley University is an annual event, and I met JB there. Um, in fact, actually thinking about it, I I did actually meet her in Tallinn in Estonia the year before, but we didn't really know each other. We kind of just we just kind of met each other, and she was getting married there. And so I kind of, you know, met her, but then we really started to connect and and uh, and and form more of a, a closer connection when we were in Pula in Croatia the following year. You know, by the way, too, I just want to tell everybody that you are not in your English, obviously, um, but you're not in England. You're in Poland. So well traveled. You keep on dropping all these uh, offhandedly. You're like, oh, yeah, when I was in Croatia, when I was in Poland when I was in <laughs> so clearly well traveled but so you're hanging well, out I, uh, go ahead and I, I actually live in Sardinia which is an island off oh. the coast of Italy so uh, yeah <laughs> really yeah. unbelievable this is oh my gosh <laughs> that's okay well so can, I love that thank you for sharing that that's um that's super fun I I um I don't know if it's an English thing or an American thing, but I think, you know, America, you know, we've got the United States, obviously, but it's very self-contained and it's, it's, I mean, yes, you can go to Canada or yes, you can go to Mexico, but outside of that, it's like you, it's a, it's an ordeal. I, I don't want to say an ordeal. It's more of a process. Perhaps when you're in England, you've got a lot of access. Like I was in I, uh, Iceland one time and there were, 
English people all over the place. Oh yeah, we fly here for the weekend. Or and I was like, wait, wait, what? Right? Because you're super close to Ireland or uh, anyway. Yeah. Right. Not Ireland. Uh, Iceland. Iceland. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Tangent. So tell me about that. Was... Would you agree with that? Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, really, there was a big event that happened a couple of years ago, uh, which is known as Brexit, and uh, it was where Britain decided supposedly, uh, I, I think there's a lot of conspiracy around it, but supposedly decided to leave the European Union, yes. um, which was a, a formation of 27 countries that all work together with free travel and free working, you know, no restrictions on working and no restrictions on living in any of those countries. So literally I could drive my car for a couple of hours and I could be in the middle of Europe and other countries yeah. Um, and I can fly within an hour and see most of Europe and two hours with some of the further points. So it was very accessible for us. So you could commute to a different country to work. And, and particularly in Europe, somebody living in Belgium, for example, could very easily be working in France or in, in Germany. And it's maybe half an hour, 40 minutes in the car and they're in that second country. So it was very accessible. And it was free movement and free um, free to be able to work anywhere without a visa, without any restriction, without asking permission. And when Brexit happened, it meant that we became a third country from those 27 countries, which means now we have to get a visa. We're only allowed to stay for 90 days. Uh, we're only we have to get permission to work. You know, there's it's, it's much more restrictive. So. My decision to move to Italy was actually driven by the fact that we could do that within a certain time frame and we would mm. still be classed as being a European Union citizen mm. and European Union resident. So, uh, yeah, that was that was sort of timing. We managed to get there before all those sort of lockdowns happened. And then, of course, since lockdowns have happened, the, the traveling around those countries has become significantly harder you know yes. even for you guys as well traveling outside of the states becomes much more difficult you know so uh, yeah it's certainly harder to travel around now indeed and the perhaps we were opening up but perhaps not anymore um with the covid and all but um i want to ask you it's very interesting you said the conspiracy side of things around brexit and give me your three minute or five minute like what's the what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think the the way that it was positioned by both sides of the political spectrum, those that were for Brexit and those that were against it, I think there was a lot of misinformation sent around. But there was definitely very targeted uh, approach whereby it was about... The, one of the phrases was about taking back control. And so the mainstream media and the political parties that were very pro-Brexit that wanted Britain to leave the European Union were pushing that argument very strongly. And at the time, the UK had a, a significant amount of, or a significant number of immigrants that had, that had come to the country, which was part of the richness of what makes Great Britain because it's so diverse and there's so many different types of background and different types of cultures that all mingle in to make us very European, actually, as a, as a nation previously. And so that richness was, was kind of taken away with this very um, kind of central 
patriotic, you know, we want to take control back. What people didn't realise is the taking back control was the government of Great Britain taking back control of the people of Great Britain. Mm. And so it was pitched as we can take back control of our laws, we can take back control of our regulations, you know, of what, what we spend our money on. And so it was pitched as, as that utopia of being something fantastically, you know, silver lined. Um, it was actually, there's, there's some much deeper stuff that goes behind that around some much deeper political reasons why it happened or, or reasons why they were pushing it. And so this, the government that were pushing it were very much into wanting an agenda where they could control their agenda again um, and control the people, which is what's mm. happened. And of course, lockdown has given them the ideal opportunity to do that. So there's a kind of look, one thing led to another. Um, so, I mean, it's not a, it's not a podcast about that, but I could definitely t- talk for hours about both those topics. Well, I think one will blend into the other. So I, I, I'm interested to know, um, if you don't mind indulging me, sure. um, the controlling of government takes back some control of the people to the benefit of, or tell me, tell me more about that. Like what the people who are getting more control, like what are they controlling? I don't, and I'm serious when I say that, is this like a tax base? Is this a, is this a, like, tell me more about that. Yeah. So I, I think it's about control of people's behavior, control of their, um, you know, what they can and can't do. Um, you know, the, the way you, you look at lockdown and the way that they've developed that in terms of telling people, you know, how to wash their hands, for example, you know, mm-hmm. that would become this so reliant on the government telling us what to do. And I know so many businesses in the UK that literally hang on every word of the Prime Minister of, of Great Britain. And, you know, that that's not a great place to be if you're reliant on one person or a group of people that are controlling and have so much influence, particularly yeah. with the mainstream media and also with government policy that they're implementing. Um, and not that's not always the best thing for people. You know, it's, it's the best thing for a, a few. It's not necessarily the best thing for the whole nation. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what's happened. Uh, so that's my personal opinion on it. And, you know, other opinions are out there and uh, I'm sure you can <laughs> you can find people that would disagree and hopefully some that would agree too. But uh, yeah, there's there's definitely some uh, some dark stuff that goes on behind the taking back control. And and when you look at the lockdowns where money has been, been given to um, VIP organisations to implement PPE rollout of personal protective equipment that's been rolled out because of covid and the equipment's been defective or not ever been delivered or has not been suitable and had to be destroyed and that's happened with millions and billions of pounds worth of of goods and a lot of that has been given to vip companies that are attached to the ruling party or the government with very very little oversight and very little uh, um, audit uh, available under so the guise a, of 
it needs to be done now due to the extreme circumstances. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And and so they've hidden and masked a lot of that. Now there's a, a real problem with some shortages in the supermarkets in, in Great Britain right now. Um, they're blaming it on the, the fact there's a shortage of HGV drivers. Uh, these are heavy goods vehicle drivers, lorry drivers, and they're saying there just aren't enough of those drivers. And this is because of COVID. Uh, but actually, a lot of it is because the suppliers of those fresh foods that would have come from our neighbours in in Europe, i.e. France, Belgium and Holland, that grew a lot of the food that we were importing into Great Britain. And they just don't want the, the hassle of the paperwork because they now have to prove that it comes from a particular place and mm. they have to provide a whole lot of paperwork to import mm. it into the UK. And why would they need to do that? The shelves in, in Europe are full. You know, you can go to a store in Europe and there's plenty of fresh produce and there's no shortage of, of fresh produce. But in Great Britain right now, they're having a real shortage of that type of thing, the fresh produce. It's interesting. I think what I love about this conversation is that on one hand, we could be talking about higher level things. When I say higher level, so for example, when I read your bio, you have, quote, when I tapped into the highest level of consciousness, right? So we could be talking about consciousness type things. But on the one hand, I love that you're clearly very um, interested and in tune with and educated on what's happening in in those other workings. Um, I, I'm at a loss for words of how to say it. Yeah, political no, political you- workings, economic workings, go on. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the amazing things about that, Misha, is that, you know, tapping into that higher source of intuition and and kind of being what I would call awake. So I'm kind of consciously awake, awake to, you know, my own, um, my own kind of impact on the world and my own vibrational energy and the universal energy, etc. But as soon as you become awake, it's almost impossible to go back to sleep again. And so you get awakened and you get that bitch slap and you go, oh, hang on a minute. Right. I'm, I'm out of the matrix. What's this? Yeah. And you start to figure out stuff that's going on. But because I then don't get influenced by mainstream media or I don't get influenced by, you know, the messages that come from government, you can stand back and go, hold on, what's really happening right now? You know, and so I guess I'm, I'm just kind of a bit more aware and What's interesting is that that seems to be happening globally. There seems to be a lot more people that are stepping back and questioning things and going, hang on a minute, this is, you know, maybe there's, there's something more to life than just buying into, you know, what we're being told by our, our political officials or by the mainstream media. Yes. And of course, the mainstream media has a, a very similar message. <laughs> it doesn't matter which country you're in. There's there's often messages that are coming through that are the same from from all these places. So, uh, yeah, it seems co- very coordinated when you step back and watch it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting too. I sense, and I don't know, maybe you can validate this or speak to this, but there's as media, like there's definite fractures in in that system, right? And there's mm-hmm. definitely that consciousness of of people going, wait a minute, there's this, why am I buying into this message? And there's almost, it sent, it feels to me like there's panic pockets of panic, like popping up in the traditional uh, mainstream sources of media, politics, things like that. Would would you agree to that? Or does that make sense when I say that? 
Yeah. Definitely, yeah. I think the the if you look at the the people who have the biggest influence in you know the media and in politics and in finances have almost become drunk on their own power, you know, because they've had so much power in the last few decades and going back even further, probably centuries actually. Um, and they've always almost become blase about it to the point where they're doing it anyway. Um, and and so when people are waking up, they're suddenly going, "Hold on a second! You what? You, you're gonna you're gonna lock us all down? You're gonna restrict us from travelling? And we have to show you a pass if we want to go and eat out or go to a cinema? You know?" And it's like, "No, no, no, no!" So people are waking up, but that causes confusion and causes tension for people because when they suddenly wake up and they're out of the matrix and go, "Hold on a second! What do I do?" Because they're just kind of like, well, I've just woken up to the fact that maybe these politicians have been lying and maybe the financial guys are not the guys to trust. And maybe these messages we get from the media aren't actually independent, fully researched journalists that are you know, giving us credible information. Maybe these messages are coming from, you know, a very coordinated uh, place of of uh, of greed or of uh, of not even greed. Sometimes it's just this kind of sense of they're all part of that structure and part of that system. And when someone wakes up from that, it's suddenly like, well, where do I go? What do I, who do I trust? Because now you get a, a new source of, of news, you know, a new piece of information. And now you don't know whether to trust that because it might be coming from somewhere new, but of course that's not credible yet. The credible source that you trusted, which might have been your national broadcaster, is yes. definitely not trustworthy because it's proven they're not trustworthy. <laughs> it's just like, where do you go for your source of information? And, and that's where people can tap into their intuition and, and really figure out, you know, what's best for them and what to believe for themselves and where to, where to focus their attention. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you, um, your... With what you do, are you is coaching your main source of is that your main business now? Your your yeah your, yeah yeah. I mean, I, I wanted to say actually that um, one of the things that significantly changed for me after meeting JB was um, becoming an international bestseller. So uh, mm -hmm. I've got three books that I was contributing to that became international bestsellers on Amazon with JB yes, um, yes. and a, a whole bunch of other authors. So that was a really wonderful experience. So um, actually, I've, I've um, just published another book recently this year on how to pivot your mindset post lockdown. Uh, so I've kind of continued that whole writing theme. So, um, yeah, I'm enjoying writing and coaching and, and doing training and speaking, etc. So that's my kind of main source. So as you're as you're sort of getting, I don't know, if notoriety or having success or fulfillment, maybe is a better word or you're you're all this cool stuff is manifesting over here. Do you, and you're more high profile, do you get pushback from, from like when we start talking about Brexit and things like that, do you get in the back of your mind? Are you concerned? Are you like, Ooh, I don't know if I should talk about this because the powers that be might start to give pushback or are you like, excuse my language, fuck mm. you, bring it on. Or like, yeah, is yeah. there any of that going on in your brain? Yeah, of course. Yeah, there's always that dichotomy because um, some of the organisations I work with are, you know, 
are significantly involved in in that whole marketplace. Yeah. So I've got to the point now where I'm I'm almost to the point where I'm thinking, well, if they don't like my viewpoint and they don't like the fact that you know, okay, here's here's another topic. Sorry to to throw another one in. I love. But for it. example, I would absolutely decline the vaccine for a, as long as I've got a pulse and as long as I'm breathing. Okay. I will decline it as much as I can, and I would encourage others to do the same. But that's that's an individual choice, and you know people have to make the choice for themselves. But if one of my clients turned around and said, you know, you're not vaccinated, we don't want to work with you, I would say I'm cool with that. That's fine, whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't want to work with people that if they're that if they're that way inclined. You know, yeah. um, so I would have probably two or three years ago, I'd have been much more sensitive to it. And much more, you know, oh, I mustn't upset people and trying to please everybody, you know. But uh, I think I've got to the point and stage in my life now where I just think, do you know what? It's much more important things in life. It's much more important to be focused on the choices that you want to make that bring you joy and bring you happiness and bring peace to the world. And and if mm. I can do more of that and help others to do more of the same, then that's the people I want to work with. And that's the work I want to do. And that's mm. the work I love. Mm, mm, mm. Thank you for that. Um, I just want to make a note on that, you know, choices, peace, love, happiness, bringing that to the world. Um, so those are, those are beautiful, powerful statements and a, and a great vision, I think. Um, so thank you for that. And I think thank you. maybe it's a function of age for us, right? As we get older and we're like, wait a minute, like heck with it. Like, yeah, that is the answer. That's what is important. That's what matters. So that's nice. Um, what books, do, and I'll let you answer to that or speak to that if you want for a moment. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the what became obvious to me probably about uh, two or three years ago was about my vision. And, and I was really tapping into that because I was kind of waking up from the, the the identity that I'd created, which was hiding behind a mask, and and I was suffering behind that mask. You know, I, there was a lot of suffering that I was experiencing that I wasn't able to express or tap into why that suffering existed or what I could do with that suffering. And when I realised that there was a purpose to that, and there's a purpose to the suffering and why it happens. I was then able to step into the, the place of, okay, well, what am I going to do with that? How do I deal with it? And what am I going to do with it? So I was able to overcome that suffering that I'd experienced and heal that through a process of personal growth and personal development. And part of that vision that then came to me was, well, do you know what was really clear was I wanted to help others to heal their suffering. So the suffering was there for a reason. It's I had to experience it. I had to get through it. I had to work out how to overcome it. And now my role in, in life, my vision is to help others to heal their suffering. Um, and I do that through helping them understand where they sabotage their life and where self-sabotage shows up in their life, why that exists, what they can do about it and how they can overcome it and, and not be defined by their past and to create a future they love. Uh, and yeah. that's that's the type of work I do. It's beautiful. Is it mostly one-on-one -on -one or group or combination? It's mostly one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, it's mostly one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and <laughs> it's interesting because, um, you know, it, it does, 
it does vary between men and women because uh, men are generally not as conscious or or as aware of their emotions or how they can deal with it or the impact it's had on them and they tend to be much more you know oh i just pull my socks up you know i'll go and get drunk with my buddies or (laughs) you know i just kind of get on with life and we've got to just strive to be better and be be do more of what we earn more money whatever yeah 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 exactly whatever it is exactly exactly (laughs) right and i've done all that by the way that was that was another one of my addictions but there we are that's another story yes um so you know, women are much more tuned into, do you know what, something's not right and, and I'm not quite sure why and I need to get to the bottom of it. Mm. And so they're much more into wanting to try to figure out how they can prevent these emotions or causing them uh, harm or, or, or suffering. So, uh, yeah, they're much more attuned to it. It's yeah, I think so. And it's almost like they'll stare into it. They're like, it's coming yeah. at them and they're and we're like, we're like deflect. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, I don't see that. I don't see that. Um, so tell me, so two, three, so you meet JB at Mind Valley. How many years ago was that? Or you oh, may have met her before. Back. What's that? Say yeah. that again, sorry. A couple of years, yeah, a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago, and had not written any books yet. Was she the catalyst no. for your authorship? Well, um, actually, I, I had written one book before, which was a, a kind of business book, and uh, it was it was more of a kind of tips on how you might want to deal with, you know, gaining more customers or mm. negotiating a better deal or mm. how you standard guy stuff. You know, you know, kind of businessy type of stuff. Yes. You know, um, very practical things. So, and, and it was very good. You know, the, the books had f- fantastic reviews, and, and people really enjoy it when they read it. Um, so that was about uh, ten years ago. I, I wrote that one, um, but it was more of a kind of handy p- tip book, practical tip book, okay. rather than a story. Um, yeah. Whereas JB's books are much more around your experience and and share that experience and tell us what happened and then tell us what you did about it so uh, the ignite series is is a very powerful series of books um, and it was a pleasure to work on them you know it really was and and the whole team were a pleasure to work with so so you're in your story is in the some of those in that ignite series in multiple yeah so um there's Ignite Your Life for Men, which was the first book I was uh, writing in and, and compiling and, and contributing to. Um, so that was Ignite Your Life for Men. Then there was Ignite Your Life Adventurous Spirit, which was all about travel and about how travel and your experience of travel has changed you. Um, so that, again, was uh, was a really good one. Um, and then uh, there's Ignite Your Life because I can't remember what the third one was, but uh, oh, the Ignite Your Life of Conscious Leaders. Sorry. Okay. Uh, so it was about leadership and and how you become awakened to your responsibility as a leader, rather than saying I wear the stripes. You know, I've got the stripes on my on my arm. You do what I say, which yeah. is the old leadership from perhaps you know the eighties or something. Yes. Whereas now it's much more. How do I bring the team with me? How do I share that vision? How do I get them to buy into that vision and be motivated to do something? Uh, and to contribute to that so that was uh, the why yeah yeah exactly that book was uh, very powerful in that sense so and then um did your 10 year ago book sort of the business-minded book did that gain any traction along the way or did that help you get more clients or did you do what it hoped it would do or that yeah i mean it, it 
it really it served a purpose in terms of building a, a list of, of people who are interested in the work that I do. Um, so it helped me to get established in, in that sense. So it was fairly modest in, in what it achieved. It, I didn't really set out to be any kind of international bestseller. Yeah. I just thought, you know, I, I'll write this book and if it's helpful to a few people, that would be great. If they like what I do, then maybe I can talk to them more about the other work I do. Um, so it kind of was a starting point for uh, for a relationship with people who were interested in the type of work I was doing, uh, which was more business focused. The JB series, all of the books I've, I've contributed to have become international bestsellers on Amazon um, yeah. in multiple countries, in multiple different categories. Yes. Uh, so they've been really, really good at kind of putting me in a different different place you know in terms of the you know being able to write but but also the the process of writing the books and then working with the team of editors and the team of you know people that help you to formulate the story and and to bring that out has helped me to really clarify my writing and also to make the writing probably more engaging and, yeah. uh, and more interesting for the reader yeah so uh, yeah i think all the, the ignite well, books are, are excellent for that so, I, and I, we're going to have all sorts of thoughts going here, but I'm curious, if you're, you were generally successful financially, career-wise, pre-JB? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. And would you say, like, uh, I don't know if this is a proper question, but how successful? Like, very? Or, I mean, I know that's a relative uh, term, but... W- w- yeah, were you- yeah. I mean, I, I, I've always, since I've run my, my company doing coaching, it's always been lifestyle for me. So I'm very led around the lifestyle, which I have. You know, I like to go to the okay. beach. I like to travel. Um, I like to hang out with people who are on a similar vibration to me. And so that's way more important to me than, you know, becoming the, the number one best selling or becoming the, the the top coach in the country. Um, so I'm not into accolades and I'm not into status in that in that regard. So I'm, I'm quite happy with my lifestyle and, and it's a lifestyle business for me. Yeah, no, thank you for that. And I, I was more of just trying to set up your identity. You, you had this, it sounds like you meet JB and there's a next levels over the arc of your life you've had new awarenesses old identities are stripped off it sounds to me like and you can correct me if i'm wrong when you meet jb that was a big catalyst for new breakthroughs or no or um i, th- I think definitely is a breakthrough as a writer 100% definitely um i think personal growth wise it wasn't really the connection with jb that that created that catalyst or that bitch slap moment yeah um i I kind of already had all of that and so i was going on that personal growth journey anyway um it was one of my mentors that i've been working with from about five years ago who probably helped me to to make the biggest breakthrough um and really kind of understand where my sabotage comes from understand my steps of, of sabotage i've then gone on to study that and study the saboteurs to the point where I'm a certified saboteurs coach, if you like. Um, I love it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, th- there's a kind of whole load of stuff around that, which is which is probably more significant to my personal growth. I think what 
JB and the team were able to do is to help me to then articulate that and to share that in my story to the point where it can be meaningful for other people to read it and go, oh, yeah, I understand that. I know where he comes from. That's just like I've experienced and, yeah. and, and maybe share something that's of use. So it's definitely a catalyst for me as an author to share my work on a different platform. Yeah, I, I, I guess by the time you meet JB, to for JB to be interested in your story, you've already had to have, I, I don't even know if that's the right way to say it, perhaps you've experienced, let's take out the idea of right or wrong, right? I like yeah. stripping out the idea of right or wrong, um, but you've already had this transformational, this, this, this uh, identity shift. There's so many different ways to say it. So by the time you run into JB, she's like, wow, Damien, you've got a compelling story. We need to let me help you get that out there. Or I think that it would add value to what she's up to. I guess that's a good way to say it. Yeah. 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 Totally. That, that really is in a nutshell. That's, uh, that's really good because, you know, if you're an average Joe and you're going through life without any, you know, without waking up to what you're, capable of or what your true gifts and talents are or yeah. what you're here to create in the universe then I guess there's not a lot to share um so yeah it, it, it's about kind of having something of of interest to others that that's of value that, that brings it because I think JB has had people where she would invite them to contribute their story and the story doesn't appear in the book because it's just not inspiring or doesn't have that kind of bitch slap moment where somebody's yeah. ignited the possibility. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think they, they, you know, there, there definitely has to be a, a synergy and a connection. Definitely. Yeah. And, and so, and, and if I heard you correctly, money has never been the, you've never had to strip away sort of the financial illusion or the shiny, like for me, you know, there's been that sort of financial ideal that, once I was able to let that go, which I love the idea of letting things go. It doesn't mean you won't get it. It just means you don't care anymore. Right. It's, yeah, yeah. It was just yeah. kind of a fun concept, but it sounds to me like you've perhaps through the arc of your life have been more driven by lifestyle, flexibility, freedom, travel, than then I'm driven by this illusion of financial success. Am I yeah. stating that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, you know, when I was younger, I loved material things and I like to have nice cars and I like to have, you know, nice gadgets and things. And and so when I was younger, I was probably much more interested in that and led by those sort of choices. Um, so, you know, if if it meant I could change jobs and get a better car and more salary, I would have done that through my yeah. career. And I guess I would have put that down to ambition and striving for something, you know, more than than I had. Um, but now, definitely, the the focus is much more around, yeah, you know, relationships are much more important, and the the ability to be able to travel and hang out with the people who are on a similar vibration, that's much more important to me. You know, where I live in Sardinia, I live a couple of miles from the beach, and one of my favorite pastimes is walking on that beach. So yeah. if I can create opportunities to do that, you know, I would far rather do that than be trying to, you know, trying to be the number one coach in, in the UK or Europe or something. Yes. It's just not, not in my field of vision at all, you know? Yes. 
I love that. Thank you for that. Um, so we've managed to avoid a lot of what makes your story so juicy. Um, so you, you had this, this eating compulsion, the binging and the weight fluctuation and just hiding behind this food. As I read your bio and such, there's some alcohol, perhaps drugs, uh, sounds like you dropped the little nugget that you've, you've partaken in <laughs> obsessive compulsive relationships <laughs> with the ladies. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that has been, but you've, you've sort of transcended all those things, um, as, as best we can as humans. So I look at things from a recovery angle. When I say recovery, 12 step, right? I've been involved in, you know, I've, I've been clean and sober for decades now. And, and a, 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 what has helped me do that has been, um, you know, 12 step stuff. Uh, do you mm. have any of that in your life or was it, was it sort of a transcending the food thing, transcending the alcohol yeah. thing? talk to speak to that yeah yeah thank you and and congratulations by the way on on being sober for that length of time it's a great achievement so yeah it's yeah, very very admirable to your commitment um i know a lot of people that have been through the 12-step program and ironically here's a funny story my my aunt my great aunt in ireland she was actually one of the founding members of alcoholics anonymous in ireland and so there's a really, really, really funny connection. Yeah. Um, but I've never been through the 12 steps. And I guess I always tried to manage my addictions, probably largely on my own and in secret. So I was always trying to cope with them on my own. Okay. Um, but they never really became such a problem that I couldn't function. You know, I was always able to function. So if you're, you know, binging on eating or you're, binging having relationships that perhaps you I, I was making very poor choices yes, I made yes. some very poor choices yes. through my addictions um but it didn't become dysfunctional to the point where you know I was losing everything or my house was on the line or so it never became that that kind of serious I suppose for me um yeah. where it became where the the kind of turning point for me was in um in 2005 my youngest son was diagnosed with a life-limiting condition. And that was truly, truly a bitch slap moment that you would never, ever want anyone to experience. You know, it was like just this sudden wake up of, wow, what, what just happened, you know? Uh, and it all happened almost as in slow motion. And it was kind of happening slowly, but at the same time, it, it happened so quickly. And I was, I was being strong and positive strong resilient and in emotion wise for everybody else in my family and being positive and 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 putting on this kind of mask and this identity that it was okay we're going to get through this everything's fine but on the inside I was crumbling you know I was crushed and and so the addictions became worse at that point and like I say I was making really poor choices not some some of those choices I'm not proud of at all um but but, you know, the time that it then worsened was when I separated from my ex-wife now. Uh, we separated about 10 years after that event. And 
in the end, I became so addicted to my own negative emotion because I was really sad about what had happened, about the relationship. I was sad about my son's condition. Um, I was guilty about not being able to spend time with him. Uh, you know, all of those things. So there was sadness, there was anger, there was a fear. You know, all of those negative things were were present for me. And I got to the point where I was addicted to that. And that became my focus was that anger and fear and sadness to the point where I was I was effectively not clinically depressed because I was never diagnosed with depression, but I was really long term sadness was a real big impact for me. So when I figured out I needed to do something with that, it took a, it probably took me about two to three years to to get through that and to get beyond it and to wake up from it and and to to go through a process where I could recover and and heal my suffering. And I think if I'd have probably had the support of a 12-step group, it might have happened quicker. It Mm. may well have been that I could have done that in less time. Mm. And I always had this sense of, I'm not a particularly religious person, but I had this sense of spirituality, that there was something greater than me and something bigger than me in the universe that was here for a reason. There's something, you know, greater than me and, and and that's that has some kind of divinity and so being able to tap into that I think has been very powerful and I think from my understanding 12 steps is very focused on you know something that you believe in outside of yourself and and something that you can show gratitude to and 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 be thankful for and and so I've been practicing all of those things and and mm. uh, showing gratitude and thanks for those and and seeing the abundance in the universe for what it is and and not being in that kind of scarcity mindset um and once you start to open up to that it it then it then kind of just evolves doesn't it you know you kind of then get on that that kind of um that awakening really i i there's nothing really that i can explain other than it's like being in the matrix before and when you're awakened you can't go back into the matrix you've got to be awakened and pay attention you know yeah (laughs) How about how about the line from The Matrix, you know, or there's the whole idea of ignorance is bliss, where the guy, <laughs> he's going to get reinserted into The Matrix, right? And Absolutely. He's eating the steak and he's like, ignorance is bliss. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, like, I like the idea that people that are ignorant to it, and I don't even, I don't even mean to say that negatively. I want anybody listening, no negativity. It's like some people enjoy that space. So God bless them. That's the way God exactly. created them. That, yeah. Yeah. Go yeah. And, and, you know, you know, it, when I first got, got this and I was kind of awakened, you know, and I was, I was kind of seeing all these things and, and the messages from the universe were coming through loud and clear. I was paying attention to them. You know, you kind of get a different perspective completely on on life and the universe and everything um and at first I, I was setting about trying to convince others that they could do the same and and show them how to do it and it became really obvious that you just cannot wake people up if they're not ready for it you know yeah. you can offer them the red pill and the blue pill but they choose right they, they choose. <laughs> so so you can kind of bring it to them and you can say, look, there's this whole world of possibility around love, around abundance, around creativity, around, you know, what you want to create in the world, what you want to put out there, how you want to do that. You can, there's an abundance of, of everything you need. And uh, you can you can tell people about that and share that with them, but you can't then force them to want it or or, or to have it. 
they have to choose it still, you know. So uh, I love the fact that it's an active choice for people. And, you know, one of my mentors, he said to me uh, that there are 90% of people that are completely asleep to their possibility of what they could create or what their potential is. So 90% don't even know. They've just kind of switched off to it. Yeah. There's about 9% that are awakened to it but haven't achieved it yet. And that creates more tension because the doors open, they've stepped through the threshold, but now they're going, oh my God, what do I do with all this stuff? And then there's 1% of people that actually step through, go into the threshold and create what they love. And so tapping into that, you know, 1% of people who really get it and, and have kind of done th done things with their life to create a life they love is is uh, just a joy to experience and watch and, and to uh, to see people do that, you know? Yeah, where do you think you are in those in those percentiles? Generally, yeah, that's speaking, a really good, it's a really yeah. good question. I think I, I've probably I would say I was in the nine percent definitely. Um, I think occasionally in some areas of my life I'm definitely in the one percent. Um, yeah. You know, moving countries and and choosing to live in a in a different country is is a you know a nice choice and and it was definitely an intuitive thing to do. Um, and the choices were all intuitive about where, I, where I'm living. Um, but then there's other things, you know, I still make silly mistakes. I, I, I got into, uh, this isn't a mistake, by the way, I'll, I'll explain this in a second. But okay. when lockdown happened, I decided to invest some money into cryptocurrency, which is definitely not a mistake. That's a good choice, by the way. <laughs> right. um, but I got into an ego-driven uh, a kind of... Uh, one of these things where because I'd made a lot of money with cryptocurrency and I'd taken a, a, a kind of four figure uh, investment and turned it into six figures somehow, you know, yeah. right, whatever, whatever way you Don't figure that out, crypto does will. that. Yeah, I then did a, an ego investment and I did put some of that money into Dogecoin, which was my biggest bloody mistake in the, in the world because I bought it when it was right at the top of its at his peak so uh i still make mistakes believe still, me no one's perfect but uh, yeah. thankfully i didn't, didn't lose too much money and I, i've still got it so I, i'm waiting for it to get back up again before i sell it <laughs> you're, you're still human you're still human i'm still human yeah totally totally yeah 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 Absolutely. the uh, the shiny object of the cryptocurrency yeah um, yeah <clears throat> I, mean, I, I just this is going to be a total diversion but as you know i did the summit then uh and uh, gosh, you'd have been amazing on the summit. I, I can tell. So when I do summit 2.0, I'm going to, the tools for a good life summit 2.0, I'll, I'll definitely reach out to you and we can talk about it. But um, right. Thank you. Yeah. I was, uh, I was, you know, looking at um, astrologers for some reason, I'm always had a slight fascination with astrology. I'm not in deep on it, but I think it, it can be fun. It can be fun to play with. Right. But yeah. my point is, is I was searching for astrologers to bring on, uh, to perhaps speak to astrology, <clears throat> excuse me, astrology as a tool. Cause I believe that it does help people find comfort. It does help give people direction. It does help people tap into what you were talking about, right? I, I might not agree with it or believe it, but doesn't mean it's not happening. Um, would you agree with that or astrology yeah, wise? No, or? I, I think, um, you know, I, I've got people in my very close network who are really, they really follow the planets and the stars to the yeah. point where, you know, they kind of know 
you know, when there's a good timing to create something, when it's a good time to, you know, do the, these sort of decisions, etc. And I love that. And I think we probably as human beings have become really disconnected from that. Yeah. Um, and I think when we go back to our ancestors and many of the indigenous species, they would have been very aligned to those rhythms and those movements of the planets. And, you know, they'd have understood all of that. And, and they were much more aware of when to plant their crops and when to, you know, when to uh, to harvest those crops, et cetera. So yeah. I, I think there's a lot to be said about how we could align much more closely with things like astrology and, and the, the planets and the stars, et cetera. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. Well, thank you for that. Um, I, I appreciate that. And so in my research, there was this whole section of us of like fledgling astrologers or even sophisticated astrologers who had gone deep into the cryptocurrency man. <laughs> oh like, yeah, yeah. It was that's that was the point of that story. I was like, oh my gosh, this is fascinating how how that cryptocurrency thing <laughs> took over a lot of people, man. And like you could see like like I saw astrologers that had certain messages and then it was just all about time and I'm not good or bad or indifferent. It's just interesting to see the <laughs> phenomenon, yeah. but yeah. use astrology to time your, your, <laughs> you know, your buy, buy sell points. And I was like, Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. Just a, a funny humans are funny, man. We are a funny creature. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask, well, gosh, um, Quick, I want to say, uh, who was your five-year-ago mentor that you referenced? It sounded like you're very passionate about this individual, and he, yeah, he so, or she really, yeah. Yeah, so I went to one of his events for uh, a kind of one of these one-day free events, you know, where he'd pack a couple of hundred people in the room, and he'd talk about his experience and, and his um, who, who is it? teaching. I, I'll come on to it in a second. I'll, I'll, sh I'll oh, share. Oh, okay, good, good, good. Yeah, so, good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so, um, so I went to one of his events and I kind of quite liked him anyway, because he was a bit cheeky, you know, he was kind of, he just came on, he didn't have some kind of big team with him. You know, he was very ordinary, but he packed a couple of hundred people in the room. So I was pretty impressed with that. And then he did this kind of, you know, pitch at the end of the day where he says, oh, actually, if you want to come and work with me, this is the next level, you know, and I thought, actually, yeah, it's a no brainer, you know, and I chose to work with him. So his name's Ryan Pinnock and he's a South African book guy based in, in the UK. And he talked about his own upbringing and some of the, the problems that he'd experienced as a child, which had, had led him into addictions funny enough actually and uh he he'd been a drug addict and i think he's definitely a drug addict yeah he definitely became a drug addict. i'm not sure if he was alcoholic as well but anyway he'd definitely been in uh in addiction yeah so uh he kind of had been there and done that and and he he talked about the fact that he'd put his own health and his safety at risk through that addiction uh, he'd made very poor choices through that addiction. And I really kind of got that. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, I, I've done exactly the same. I've put my health at risk. I've put my safety at risk. I've made poor choices, you know, and that that really resonated. So as I got to work with Ryan over a couple of years, I got more and more 
into the work that he does and was teaching some of the work with him and, and would go and be a part of the team with him. Um, so he, he was definitely a very influential person in my personal growth, for sure. Um, so, yeah, and, and that's a lot of the work I do now. I've learned from Ryan. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's been very good at helping me in, in healing my own suffering. Fantastic. So significant before and after, like there was, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There was uh, Damien pre Damien post. Yeah. Ryan. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, cool. Yeah. 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 Awesome. And so that was about five years ago. You stumbled across him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was going through quite a lot of the suffering myself and I, I'd got to a point where I was just like, you know what, you know, I, I, I'm now addicted to my own sadness and I'm fed up with, you know, feeling crap all the time and, you know, sitting at home feeling sorry for myself. I better get out and figure out some stuff, you know, yeah. and I'd read all the books, you know, I'd read so many different personal development books. I'd been on other workshops and uh, this one was the most significant that really got my attention. And, and actually it was when I started to tap into intuition because he's really good at teaching how to tap into intuition that's one of his core specialities is teaching it how to to tap into your own intuition mm, that's amazing that's uh that's beautiful i love the that idea of and i try to do that a lot i try to a lot of my a lot of my uh practice is to is to tap into that intuition that you're talking about frustratingly for me a lot of times it's do nothing and i'm like oh <laughs> wait i'm like wait what i want stuff now <laughs> yeah 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 that's right exactly i'll tell you one of the funniest ones was i, I and this, this actually happened while i was working with ryan and um i went to visit my son in hospital he was having one of his annual checkups and i went to see him and he was staying in overnight for a, a, a checkup on his condition, which is a life-limiting condition called Duchenne muscular dystrophy. So he has annual checkups on his heart and his lungs and on his muscles, et cetera, and his medication, you know. So I, I went along to see him. And uh, whilst I was in the building, I needed to go to the bathroom. So I visited this bathroom. And part of the building is a very old Victorian hospital in London, right next to the very famous children's hospital, Great Great Ormond Street Hospital. So his hospital that he was in was just next to it or just behind it. So I went in this Victorian part and the the bathroom is, is a modern converted part of the hospital, which has been modernized and, and updated quite recently. So it's this beautiful new, you know, kind of bathroom with all shiny, you know, all brand new, clean and, you know, ni nice condition. And I walk in there and as I'm washing my hands, as I'm finishing up, I look up and there's this beautiful stained glass window, absolutely gorgeous, you know, with the lead in it and the colored lights and looks absolutely gorgeous. And the other side of this window was a brick wall. And I just thought, well, it's nice that they kept the window, but isn't it a shame that it just looks onto a brick wall? You know, it's a bit, a bit silly, really, you know, yes. I didn't think much more of it. So Anyway, I, I went about my business. I, I said cheerio to my son, you know, I went on to working with Ryan about a week or so later at an exhibition in Kensington, which is this great big exhibition hall. It's like, you know, all these big exhibitions happen. And he had a stand there and I was helping him. And at some point I had a break, went and had some lunch, sitting, chatting with a guy in this little cafe, I stood up to say cheerio to this guy. And I've been sitting underneath a window that was bricked up. So the other side of this window, there was there was a wall. I was like, 
really? Twice in one week, you know? Anyway, didn't think anything of it, right? I just kind of went about my business. About a week or so later, I'd been traveling. I was in Switzerland. I was training some scientists on how to tap into a different level of thinking for design thinking. And there's about an hour at the end of the day where they do a big exercise. So I went to the bathroom, washing my hands, and there's a blooming window that's bricked up. I'm like, no way. This is like, you know, three windows that are bricked up. This is crazy. So I did a whole lot of intuitive work around it. I was like, okay, what's the what? What am I seeing? What am I? What's the universe trying to tell me? And what was happening was I'd got a vision that I'd created when I'd met Ryan through a process that um, he he takes you through a very long meditation where you create a land of plenty, which is where everything that you love in your heart already exists. Mm-hmm. So when you go to this meditation, you're in this vision. Everything that you would love to have in your life already exists in this vision, in this meditation, and you write all that down. So I'd written all these things down, and some of these things were were happening for me, and I was trying to, you know, create choices around these things that I wanted to have in my life that I would love. And one of those visions was about teaching or, or sharing this work around intuition with people who have experienced something very similar to me, where their son is diagnosed with the the life-limiting condition of Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Mm -hmm. So I want to be able to teach that and to be able to help parents who who have that situation where their son is is experiencing something similar. Mm -hmm. So that was my vision was to heal their suffering and to heal the, the suffering of those families. But I wasn't actually doing anything with it. I was blocked. I was kind of stuck with it. So I, I was basically, I could see what the vision was of what, what I would love to create, but I could only see what was in front of me, which was, oh, I need to earn money and I need to do this and I need to do that. And I was very busy with all the stuff I was being looking at today. So what was obvious was the, the reason why the universe was showing me these windows that were blocked up is that I couldn't see beyond what was in front of me to see my vision. Yeah. and connect with it so when you kind of get that and you get awakened to it you're like ah okay now i understand yeah. so these messages are coming through all the time every day you get this stuff the universe is trying to communicate with you it will tell you stuff all the time you just have to pay attention and be present and when you can do that you can tap into some amazing relationships some amazing choices that you want to make and uh, yeah, you, you know, you can you can realize that that the joy and the happiness that you that you seek, the fulfillment that you're looking for, you know, that connection to that higher source is already there. It's already you're just there, not yeah. seeing it, you know. Yeah. So once you awaken to that. it, you can start to actually receive it. I love that thought that it's there. We we don't have to find it or create. It's it's there. Just can we strip off some of the 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 stuff so real quick um this meditation that brings you to the i think you said did you call it the land of plenty or what 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 did yeah you call it? i i think it's actually i believe it might be an african because he's from south africa so okay. he, he knows a lot about that culture but uh, i think it's actually in either indigenous american or or maybe african kind of um philosophy around this land of plenty Cool. So everything that you love already exists. I love that. And I, I'm curious, do you go into that meditation with no pre, do they, do you try to, to get set up to go into that with 
no preconceived notions, get rid of the preconceived notions of what's there. Yeah, you have that, to, you have to go I in. love that. You, yeah, so you go in from a place of innocence, basically, we call it, and uh, you kind of go into being almost like an innocent child where you've got nothing, you know, you've you're not got any expectations, there's no there's no past, there's no future, you're just in this present moment, and you step into that place from what your heart would love to create, and, and you're there without any judgment or without any kind of preconceived ideas so that otherwise the ego creeps in and then and then you you know you start creating oh yeah perhaps i'd like a jacuzzi and perhaps i'd right. like you know this and that you know you start putting all the material objects back in there so uh, yeah all right so that's beautiful so you have so you get to go in with innocence preferably ego stripped away um no pre all your preconceived notions hopefully parked over here and then you get to go in and you're like oh i i yes and so exactly yeah that's beautiful that's amazing um i'm trying to think of my question around that was is that uh breathing techniques to help induce that are you is this are we drug free doing that or (laughs) drug free yeah so uh it's purely through meditation and uh you know, I've I've also done something very similar with breathing techniques where you would be um, uh, it, you basically you go into a different state, so you change your state of consciousness as a result of the breathing. Um, but when I did this with Ryan, it's just purely a meditation where you're going in without anything, you know, stripped down. Just go in from that place of innocence. And the process then is that once you've written for about 20 minutes, half an hour afterwards, you then kind of consolidate those into some topics, some key topics. Maybe there's nine or 10 things in there that you want to focus on. Um, And then from there, you make choices around those topics. Mm. So, you know, you start to... Uh, but you would always do that from your heart. So it takes a bit of a process because if you try and do that from ego, you'll you'll put in all the, you know, I want to be the number one best-selling internationally yeah. successful, you know, blah, blah. Whereas maybe it's your passion is that you want to share your message and help others. Um, yeah. And so you kind of get that as a choice and, and then you can see what's obvious about what you can do to honor that. I love that. It's almost like a guiding light. It's almost like, yeah. okay, you can, fr- you can bring any decisions that are dropping that are coming to you. You can frame them around that. So, right. Absolutely. To help keep you heading to the North yeah. star or call it what you yeah. will. But, yeah, 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 exactly. And, and the good thing about that, the great thing about that is that it keeps you very focused because then when stuff pops up about, brexit or about you know mainstream media and lockdowns and all the rest of it you can just go is that relevant to the choices i'm making right now it may affect it it may well impact you but you are you still focused on the vision that you want to create so in my relationship you know i choose a beautiful loving relationship where our hearts touch together to create magic now it doesn't matter how much i get pissed off or angry with my partner if i remind myself of that choice I'm in that choice. And if I'm on the vibration of that choice, you know, it, you, a, you can't, you can't do it from anger. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's a powerful place to be. Um, yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Thank you for that. I think too, what's interesting is somebody else could 
sort of have my passion, my idea is, or the thing I'm growing towards, whether we like it or not, is Brexit itself, right? There's going to be that guy out there that's going to do that and is going to be like, for whatever reason, man, I'm driven to influence Brexit or non-Brexit or call it what you will, right? Yeah. It's a, yeah. it's an interesting thing. Um, what what uh, I, I had, so the scientists, that was an interesting little thing you said, but they're like, hey, Damien, we want to tap into our intuition to create, <laughs> what were they trying to do? <laughs> Well, uh, the people that I was working with um, have a true belief that they have the ability to cure incurable diseases. So for me, with a son that has an incurable disease, you know, I'm interested to work with people that are on that vibration. Uh, The fact that they work inside structures that perhaps either suppress that or don't allow that, discourage it uh, perhaps yeah. <laughs> they they wouldn't discourage it but they when they they have a very complex area because um one of the things that they face is that if they want to launch an, a cure for an incurable disease yeah. uh, they have to go through so many legislative like loopholes you know like the safety checks and everything yeah. um so that tends to slow up a lot of their innovation and so they do get held back by a lot of the restrictions and rightly so, you know, you, the, where there's safety concerns, you don't want to be messing around with people's lives. Right. Um, so I guess I, I can totally respect that. But at the same time, um, you know, when you look at the purpose of a biopharmaceutical company, for example, yeah. is to create customers for its product. <laughs> It's yes, I agree. It's so wrong. Like you're trying to manufacture sickness so you can come up with a cure, or we could say it so many different ways. The profit motive, perhaps. I mean, clearly there's good stuff that happens. Clearly there's questionable stuff that happens if, yeah. I so you're you you are working with some ty- scientists to help them tap into some intuition to perhaps come up with breakthroughs or new visions or new new uh, molecular structures or things like that. Yeah, I, I think the the other thing about working with scientists is that they are incredibly inte- intellectual people, incredibly clever, and. I think in some respects, that's probably the biggest barrier is getting them out of their brain yeah. and into their heart that they would love and yeah. tapping into that higher source of, of intuition that might bring them to a different conclusion or, or take them to a place where they can create that. If you look at all those kind of eureka moments, you know, where some, where scientists have been able to either come up with incredible new formulas or yeah. new ways of thinking or changing the, the beliefs or changing something you know very few of of those have been done from the kind of scientific study and and kind of overthinking of something it tends to be from a different level of consciousness you know i like the way you say that um i think we can close the loop on the political thing i think if what i heard you were saying the political drug company thing is that they almost don't want a cure because the system is in place to monetize 
dealing with the symptoms rather than the cure. Maybe that's a, a way to yeah, say. Yeah, I, th I think I think the whole medical profession is is very focused on the symptoms and not the cure. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, if if you want to cure people and you want people to have health then you have to have a holistic approach to their whole diet, to their lifestyle, to their, you know, their whole cell, cellular level. Um, yeah. And doctors and nurses just don't have the time to have those conversations. You know, they're, they're, they've got profit to make, they've got time frame, time constraints, et cetera. I do feel, you know, very compassionately for them that they're, they're very, very good at what they do, understanding a, a problem and dealing with it. Yeah. But sometimes that is not solving the root cause of the problem. And, and, and maybe some of the Eastern medicine looks at that, will look at a root cause. Um, and maybe if we could learn from that and, and experience a harmony of those two things would be, would be a, a great utopia to, to aim for. Yeah, I think so. And it seemed, I think that there is at least, we're headed that direction, it seems. Pushback all over the place, cynicism, contempt, but... Nonetheless, we're headed that direction. Um, I know we're running long here, which I don't have a problem with, um, but I have two more questions for you if you will sure. indulge me. Okay. Shoot. So, yeah. yeah. So I want to go back to the scientists in your work with scientists. Have you, were you able to, were there palpable moments where you could get them out of their head and into their heart? Totally. Um, not only is it possible to do that, the ones that wake up in that reality and from that reality, they're the ones that are asking for the, you know, the book recommendations and how do I do this and how do I do that? And, and so they kind of pop, you know, if yeah. you watch them, you know, you can see them in the workshop and you can go, oh, yeah, OK, they're popping. And the other ones that are cynical, judgmental, overthinking, analyzing, rational, you know, they're, they're just not getting it. And so there's always a mixture. Um, and, you know, incredibly intelligent people are very, very good at understanding complex situations and getting it, and they'll understand it. But it doesn't mean that they understand themselves or, or how to tap into that intuition. And so that's a different, that's a completely different sense of understanding and education, completely different. And they've probably gone through the whole education process in a very methodical, very um, rational and logical way. And you can't tap into your intuition in a logical or rational way. You know, your intuition comes to you when you tap into a different level of consciousness. You know, Albert Einstein summed this up beautifully. And he's, his quote is misquoted often. The quote that's misquoted is, you cannot solve today's problems with the same level of thinking that created it. But what he actually wrote in his essay was, you cannot solve today's problems with the same level of consciousness that created it. Mm -hmm. So he was talking about shifting your level of consciousness yeah. way back in the 1930s, you know, like nearly 100 years ago. Yeah. Um, and so when you understand that and say, okay, well, if I've got a problem and an issue I'm trying to solve, I can't solve it from my ego and from fear or sadness or anger. I've yeah. got to shift my vibration to tap into a higher source to be able to solve this problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. That's good. It's, it's, I, I love that, you know, the 12 step stuff was the same around that time where it was coming to fruition. A lot of these, a lot of like, 
you will hear the name Bill Wilson, Dr. Bob, sort of the founders of, of AA. Um, they were into some deep thinking, you know, they mm. were, Carl Jung was involved. Like all these guys were, they were deep thinking about consciousness and meditation and tapping in and like that finding that, that higher purpose. Um, yeah. So. I mean, Carl, Carl Jung is definitely one of my favorite psychiatrists who I, I love his work, you know, everything that he's, he's very controversial and, and I totally get that. Um, but at the same time, I just love, you know, everything that he was talking about just makes sense completely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I want to say on this podcast too, like I, I am not representative of the, I am not, uh, the the uh authority on 12 steps so i don't want to give this like i could have misquoted all sorts of stuff so don't, don't hold me to anyone listening like i'm not claiming to be the knowledge point the representative the authority on it um so we need that disclaimer in there um <laughs> i uh wanted to say like somebody who's listening and goes wow damien's talking about uh breaking through self-sabotage behaviors. Damien's talking about tapping into intuition. And we've got somebody who's listening, who's like ready for that, but round one, right? Like yeah. uh, what, what like in five minutes, like give me like steps somebody could do to go play with this or start tapping into some of that intuition if they feel like yeah. that would be useful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I think the the starting points are always to get out of the head and and into the heart. Um, and one of the quickest ways to do that is to be in nature, because when you start to be present in nature, you can pay attention to what the messages are and what the universe is already telling you. Um, and nature is a great way of being able to really tap into the vibration of what the earth is is all about um one of the quickest ways to do that is to remove your shoes and socks and walk barefoot on the grass or the sand or wherever you can get barefoot on some some parts of the earth and it will ground you so quickly that your heart rate actually aligns and slows down very very rapidly to the point where you can lower your heart rate as a result of being present in nature and being grounded so that gets us out of our, our head and in our kind of logical, you know, I've got to do this, I've got to do that and, and all that kind of uh, stuff that distracts us into really being present with what we're a part of and that we're part of something much greater than just ourselves. Um, and so start to really explore that. One of the books, which is extremely complex, unfortunately, but has a great deal of teaching inside of it, is called The Kabbalion. And the Kabbalion is a really, really powerful sense of, you know, kind of some, some principles that, that we can perhaps live by or, or learn from and understand. And many of the great philosophers in this world have, have used that as a kind of sent, a source of their teaching. Um, so it's, it's a great way to tap into what's possible for the universe you know there's some kind of principles of the universe almost yeah what are your the so the Kabbalion and what was her name who wrote it you said uh the Kabbalion is actually by the three I can't remember exactly what it's called 
but it's it's based on the work of uh hermetic so it's hermes oh um, and i think it's i can't remember exactly what, who wrote it but if you it literally okay. google google cabalion yeah. which is spelled yeah. i think k y b a l i o n there might be a double l in there in there somewhere but uh cabalion with a k y at the beginning as soon as you google that you'll you'll get stuff popping up so uh, you'll see it yeah yeah cool. i love it place. And um, so you and there's, a, there's a free there's a free version on YouTube that you can just listen to. And actually, I'd read it a couple of times, and I still didn't understand all of it. And I listened to it a couple of times, and by listening to it on YouTube, I actually got more from it and yeah. started to understand it more. So uh, have a have a go with it. It's it's quite a complex piece of work, but it's it's worth it. It's worth Fantastic. It. And so it it you had said it mentions principles. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So give me your 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 favorite your favorite one or two principles or learning points that you've taken from the Cabellion? So the, the big one for me was the, the underlying principle of the all is mind and the universe is mental held in the mind of the all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you can meditate on that for a few days, you might figure out some stuff that you weren't aware of before. So uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you were not kidding when when you i don't know if you asked me before we started hey how deep do you want to go and we clearly have been just surface level thank you oh, for yeah. letting me know that, um, <laughs> that we kept it surface level until now <laughs> <laughs> that always blows people's minds yeah that's quite a powerful principle yeah <clears throat> damien that's so good i i um I have a habit of letting my interviews go multiple different directions and, and um, which some people love, some people dislike, but as being the, you being the interviewee, I wanted to make sure that we covered everything that you wanted to cover or were there points that we, was there stuff you wanted to reference or talk about or, or point to that maybe we missed? Misha, that's a lovely question. Thank you. Um, I think we've covered a great deal. So I've really enjoyed the conversation. So thank you. And uh, I hope that some of it resonates and is useful for people that are listening. I think um, one of the things that we were talking about was what can people do if they are on kind of stage one of their wake up, as it were. Um, I would love to share some, some more things around that because I think, you know, once you you become aware that there's something greater than yourself in the universe. I think it's important that you are that people are able to tap into what their potential might be and, and really explore their own gifts and talents. And, you know, understanding your, your uniqueness in the world is very, very important because when you look at the probability of you actually being born, the probabilities are are very very small. You know, when you look at there's something like, and and I'm probably going to get these figures completely wrong. So again, there's a disclaimer with this. I'm not going to quote the exact numbers, right? But I'm going to give it a rough idea. There's something like 350 million sperm that get released during intercourse, and of that, there's something like 49 million of them that actually make it into the place where they're meant to make it. Mm. And of that 49 million, one of them is successful at, at ovulating one of those eggs that is in yeah. the female. So 
the chances of you actually being born are, you know, like really, really unique. You know, you become a unique individual when you're born. And when we go through our life with normal upbringing with you know a kind of a typical school upbringing in the education system and maybe we we go to a college or a university and maybe we go out and find work and we kind of get trapped into this this rat race into this matrix you know and people just think that that's what they're here to create and that's normal mm-hmm. and so when you get a wake up from that and when you realize that there is more to that it's really important that you know how to deal with that and what to do with it. So being present in nature is, is one thing. The other thing is then tapping into your, your own purpose in terms of truly what are you here to create? What do you love? You know, what are the things that you love to do? What are your special gifts and talents? What are you really, really good at? And when people can start to see, well, I'm really, really good at this, whatever that unique gifts and talent is, and they have fun and pleasure doing it, and they can make money doing that, or that the world needs it, then they can really start to serve the universe with their special gifts and talents and contribute something very unique to the world. And there's a great process in Japanese culture called Ikigai, which is I-K-I-G-A-I, Ikigai. Um, and basically, it's about what are you here to do? You know, what are you? What is your purpose? So when we from the Western world can start to tap into some of those Eastern philosophies and these Eastern teachings, we become, we, we see things from a different perspective. So Alan Watts was fantastic at this, at bringing, you know, the Western culture to the Eastern culture and the Eastern culture to the Western culture. So he was explaining things from a perspective of how people could, could maybe tap into some of those Eastern philosophies and wisdom and that ancient wisdom and use it in their Western life. So I think we, we, we need to pay attention to that and, and study that and, and really start to be curious about that whole teaching around, you know, ancient wisdom that's there. We've just forgotten it. We've got to remember it. That's all we have to do. We have to remember it. Mm. And, and to do that, sometimes we need to remind ourselves, we need to study, we need to read, we need to, grow as people and staying in your you know inside your shell and cocoon or your identity that you've created because it brings you safety doesn't necessarily bring you the reward that you're looking for or the satisfaction and fulfillment and happiness and joy when you're stuck with the identity that you've created so really don't don't be attached to your own identity be prepared to strip yourself down mm. to you know the bare nothing not just physically i mean you know <laughs> go skinny dipping if you wish but uh, <laughs> I, I mean psychologically and emotionally and spiritually strip yourself down to then really start to layer on you know who am i and, and what am i here to create in the world uh, and that's a beautiful thing if, if more people could understand that journey and be on that journey. It's a very rewarding place to be. Mm, thank you for that. Mm, mm. Just want to let that be there for a second. Yeah. Um, entry level. So get in nature, take your shoes off, walk in the sand, walk in the grass, 
take the effort to make that happen too. I think I heard you say it's so mm -hmm. perhaps I walk out my front door and there's no grass or there's no sand or there's no dirt to walk in. Take the small effort to find the park, to find the green belt, to find the space where I can do that, to ground and connect. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, nature is, an, is amazing because nature is very powerful at creating things. It's very powerful at maintaining things and it's very powerful at destroying things. And we see that with, you know, everything in nature is about creation, maintenance or destruction. And it's the same with our own lives. It's about what are we here to create? What are we here to maintain that, that has a purpose, that, that has meaning, that, that contributes? And what are the things that we need to destroy and leave behind? Maybe an old identity or mm -hmm. a belief that's stopping us or, you know, something that's stopping us from tapping into the courage and, and the vibrational energy that we need to be on to create the relationships we need, the attracting the right people into your life, attracting the right opportunities, seeing the abundance in the universe that's there and tapping into that. Um, and it is around you. You know, you, you just got to pay attention to it. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, I am. I believe that as well. Um, I think this, uh, the way to end this is to say, if people want to jump on this journey with you, they can go to Damien Colhane. That's D A M I A N C U L H A N E dot C O dot U K. That is one way to find you. Yeah. Correct. Is that the yes, best yeah. way to find you? Yeah. Um, also I do host a podcast called the self-sabotage show. Okay. So uh, they can tap into that in Spotify and Apple and Google and all those places. Um, so, yeah, jump on the podcast, have a listen. If there's something that resonates with people, you know, they can learn something about sabotage. I interview some great guests on there. Uh, I'd love to have you on as a guest, actually. Um, and to then share experiences of not only how sabotage has impacted you personally, but what you've done about it. So that's the, the interviews that I do on the self-sabotage show. Um, and some people might find that useful. And then there's the books as well. They can, they can tap into the, the night books um, and read the stories and some of the inspirational experiences that the, the other authors have had and that I've had, that I've shared. And hopefully that will inspire people to share their story as well. Fantastic. And you referenced another book that you have out recently or are working on or? Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, a new book called How to Pivot Your Mindset Post-Lockdown. Uh, so it's uh, it's designed to help people to see things from a different perspective of maybe seeing things that cause their survival brain to, to kick in to, you know, try to protect them and, and look for safety in a time when there's a lockdown and a global pandemic pandemic etc but actually how you can tap into what you can truly love and and, and what mm -hmm. you can create even if that that stuff is going on you know how to pivot your mindset and, and be able to you know be present and not be stressed out by by what's been happening yeah i love that use it as an opportunity to pivot yeah exactly and, exactly and to pivot. Yeah, exactly. yeah exactly yeah. yeah fantastic and um so I was going to say, give me a top book that that our entry level individual uh, could start with, and you gave us the one that a high, <laughs> the the com 
what did you call it? The Cabellian? That sounds like uh, that's maybe a little more advanced, but yeah, yeah. That that's a big <laughs> that's a big read, especially for someone who's who's new to all of this stuff. Um yeah. I think if you look at any of the work by Dr. Joe Dispenza, yeah. um, he's D-I-S-P-E-N-Z-A, Dr. Joe Dispenza, any of yeah. the, the teaching and, and work that he's that he writes about, you know, he's a great entry level because he explains things really clearly, he explains things very simply, um, and you can kind of experience some of the the messages that he's got to share, um, and that will te- that will perhaps take you to a new level. So, uh, yeah, F- fantastic. And I was going to say, uh, clearly, your book, How to Pivot Your Mindset Post Lockdown, would be a fun read for anybody. I'll I'll track that down myself. Um, I think that's a, a a great place to end. Any anything we missed, or I, I don't want to cut it short. I mean, we could go on no. and on and on. Clearly. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been great, Misha. Thank you so much for the invitation, and opportunity to share my message, and and to just kind of talk about stuff that's of interest to people. And uh, if they've enjoyed it, they can uh, find me and, and come and talk to me more if they wish. And if they didn't enjoy it, well, come and find me and tell me you didn't enjoy it. And that's fine. I'm cool with that, whatever. Um, (laughs) But I I hope that maybe it gets you to uh, a different perspective on on life. Fantastic. Thank you. I'm going to hit stop on the record button and then uh, we'll say goodbye offline. Okay. Okay. Great. Thanks, Misha. Thanks, everyone. Indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for spending time with me today. As someone who is committed to growth and service to this world, I so appreciate your willingness to come with me, go within, and serve our world through change. If you found value in this podcast and you know someone who can use this message, share this episode with them. Share it so our mission can be achieved one episode at a time. And of course, subscribe so you can hear more. And lastly, for more resources on what has helped me on my journey and can help you on yours, go to belove.media forward slash resources. That's B-E-L-O-V-E dot media forward slash resources. Thank you again for listening.